Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 321 No Kidding podcast. I am Bobby the Awesome, your host. And today I am joined with Nancy Propal. And we are going to talk about relationships and divorce and all kinds of fun stuff. How you doing, Nancy? I'm doing well. I'm glad to be with you. Same here. It was a long time coming. Way too long, actually. Um, so worth the wait. Worth the wait. <laughs> ah, I love that. That's that's kind of my attitude too. I've been really looking forward to this. So, as as the single person, I probably shouldn't be discussing relationships, right? Um, as far as being an expert, so that's why I had to bring you on here. Um, so why don't you start by telling us a little, maybe like what state are you from? A little about your background and and why you're with us today. Um, well, I presently live in Lakewood Ranch, Florida, and um, I'm retired. Uh, I retired a few years ago. I was a divorce attorney for over 32 years. And prior to that, I was a critical care nurse. And um, I became very successful as a divorce attorney, I believe, because I took some of the empathetic um, tactics and strategies that I learned as a nurse into that profession. And um, I found that so many people uh, who were going through the, the divorce, um, you can have two, you decide which way you want to go. Do you want to come become bitter or do you want to become better? And I tried to help my clients get better instead of bitter. I so that was my mission as a divorce attorney. But now that I'm retired, Instead of taking apart marriages, I'm writing about how to keep them together. Oh, I love that. I got to share with you my philosophy because I love that bitter, better instead of bitter. So I was married once upon a time and I never understood why people after they got divorced, I couldn't under, I couldn't wrap my head around. How do you go from loving someone so much to be married to them? too bitter and to that hateful, right? I was wife number three to husband number one. Um, and his ex, I was like, I want to be friends with her. I want to, you know, help with the kids or do the whatever. Um, but it doesn't generally pan out that way. So I love that that's your mission. And I was the divorce attorney in mine. I did it online and pretended like I knew what I was doing. Um, but being amicable, it worked out that way, right? Because he just played in the sandbox. So anyway, not to steal your thunder. I just had to share with you. I love that bitter um, or better, not bitter. That's so important. Well, I, I'll tell you the reason why is because, you know, divorce comes from the Latin word diverte. And a divorce is really a diversion. It's a diversion in life. It's an opportunity to find out who you really are. When you meet somebody that you think is going to be your life partner, you're each showing each other just your personalities, not necessarily your character. And you have to understand, and you know, you talk a lot about addiction. When you meet somebody and you think that you're really interested in them, you know, romantically, sexually, whatever, Dopamine starts to be excreted and dopamine lights up the same exact area of the brain of what I'm sure, you know, cocaine. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you're you know, you're getting this high because you're very you know, you're consumed by this person. This person 
just shines, you know, and all of the negatives of this person, which might be really what his their character is, both men and women, you ignore. And every single person who's been in a romantic relationship where they felt head over heels was drunk on dopamine. That makes and sense. serial marriages, we call them sequential marriages. Um, that's that's the dopamine rush. They're looking for that that challenge again, you know, to get that person to love them, to get that person to commit to them. And I have represented people who were really, you know, that's what they, they love the hunt. You know, I, you know, after this one client came in after three times, I said, look, you know, <laughs> you really need therapy. You don't need a divorce lawyer. You need a therapist <laughs> because you, you just like this. You, you get so high, uh, you know, chasing these women. And that's, you know, that's your risk. You love that. I said, you really need to get some therapy. I wouldn't represent them the fourth time. I said, you know, I'm not doing this. Yeah, I knew a mother daughter and the mom had been married, I think, 13 times. Oh, my Um, Lord. And the daughter wasn't even 30 when I met her. And I think she was on her third. But two of the marriages were to the same guy. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's. And I, I, again, I'm like, how do you have enough time in life to be married and divorced that many times? <laughs> it just is mind blowing to me. Um, so you brought up dopamine and you brought up addiction. And I would love your input on what does it look like for gamblers or drinkers or people that struggle with addiction? Um, do you want to share a little insight about relationship and divorce with that? I'd love to. Um, as I said, I was a critical care nurse before I became uh, an attorney and, uh, how I changed professions is a whole different podcast. <laughs> but in any event, um, you know, I, I really do know about the neurological, the chemical and the anatomical changes when we get into situations which secrete the dopamine and the dopamine rush truly is like a cocaine rush mm-hmm. and gambling, the risk, the uncertainty. Many addicts love that risk. It's what it what stimulates the dopamine. And when you meet somebody and you think you want to connect with them, it's a risk because you don't know if you're really going to connect with them or not, do you? No. So what happens? The human body is just such an amazing, I mean, I don't know if there's a God, but whoever created us, <laughs> uh, I mean, I just don't even know. But the human body is so extraordinary. Um, you know, the dopamine that is excreted in a rush, in a battle, in an argument with your spouse, I mean, in a, in a love triangle, <clears throat> excuse me, it makes you feel as if you're all powerful. It makes you feel as if there's a meaning to your purpose. And that's the same rush you get when you gamble or you, you know, you really, a lot of people self numb with alcohol, but, um, you know, that's just to dumb down the dopamine. But in any event, um, there are so many chemical implications in addiction that we're just starting to learn how we can really strategize with people, the, the new therapies that are coming out for people. 
You know, in 20 years, I think there really will be some significant strategies and treatment for addiction. Right now, it's a crapshoot, to use the gambling pun. Sorry. (laughs) I agree with you. And that's actually, I believe that um, I was put on this earth to be part of that revolution. And by sharing different avenues, like looking at our addiction, not just following the 12-step program, right? Gambling's evolving. So 12-steps hasn't quite evolved. It has its purpose, don't get me wrong, but there are so many things. And the more people that are um, getting their message out about holistic views, you know, mind, body, spirit, instead of just, you know, it's not just chemical dependency. Like there's more to it. There's different ways to heal trauma, like all those things. Um, so I'm, I'm right there with you. I think I, yeah, I hope it's less than 20 years, honestly, but it is, I feel it brewing and I don't know if it's cause I'm immersed in it, but it's so dangerous. And I totally got it. Well, I think, I think <laughs> addiction is, um, so prevalent right now because of how our country is so divided. Mm-hmm. How there's so many unknowns. I think that we were fragile, frankly, ever since 911. Uh, I think the, the bravado, the sense that we're Americans, the comfort that that gave us has really been s- fractured. You know, I mean, there are so many things that have happened and then COVID comes along and COVID is still not over. Three of my neighbors have it, you know, I mean, it, it's still very prevalent, but we're pretending it's not here. Right. So we are as Americans, we're addicted to a different, not a chemical addiction, as you're talking about. But we, we have this attitude about we're really not safe. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're addicted to feeling unsure. Yeah. And I think so many people are self-medicating. And, you know, when I was growing up, I'm certainly a lot older than you are, but when I was growing up, we were very future sense oriented. It was like you worked hard for the future. Do you know what I mean? You know, I was explaining to you before, you know, we started the podcast uh, that um, when I was in grammar school, the, the nun told me to stop raising my hand and acting like I was so smart or I'd never get a husband. I mean, the reality is I bring that because I had I had to then way pull back, felt full of self-doubt, you know, really was terribly insecure about myself because I was too smart and that you weren't supposed to be smart if you were a girl when I was growing up in the 50s. Okay, but I'm saying that when when we say these things to children or even adults, if somebody makes you feel insecure you're going to self-medicate, right? Right. You're going to make, you want to make yourself feel better about yourself. It's now true. I self-medicated by being an equestrian and riding horses, <laughs> <laughs> but um, the reality is, you know, and even in my, you know, I've been married three times, my first marriage and my second marriage, I self-medicated with wine. I mean, trust me. And I'll be honest with you during COVID, I was a day drinker, (laughs) (laughs) but um, you know, thank God I stopped that. But you know, we all have insecurities and we tend to self-medicate 
whether it's by gambling, by drinking, by smoking, falling in by love, by doing something. Yeah. So were you already retired before COVID or were you doing divorces? How recently? No, I actually, no, I retired right before COVID. I I was curious if the divorce rate went up because people had to be locked up with each other for so long and really got to learn some new characteristics about their partners. Well, I, I keep up with, you know, I keep up with all of the statistics. I keep up with, you know, my career, even though I'm retired um, because I'm writing about it. Um, Yes. um, The divorce rate was actually on the decline before COVID and it has spiked tremendously. Now we don't know. I think really the last verified statistics were for 2019. Um, But I can tell you um, through my discussions with a lot of judges and my colleagues that divorce rates have really skyrocketed. Um, And it's not just being together, it's arguments over COVID, over whether you should get vaccinated, over whether the children should get vaccinated, whether the children should wear masks, whether you should wear a mask. I mean, there's been tremendous, tremendous uh, arguments over that. Um, But yes, the other problem is when you were in basically lockdown, you know, maybe not for two years, but let's say at least a year, right? You found out different things about the person that you were living with that you had no idea. For example, uh, financial infidelity. In other words, they were doing things with the money that the couple considered their joint money without the consent of the other spouse. There was a lot of that that was discovered. The other thing that was discovered, of course, is that one or the other spouse was having relationships with someone that they were unaware of. Yeah. So, yes, there's been a tremendous uptick in divorce as a result of COVID. Oh, you triggered a question, but I'll go back to my, oh, I know what I was going to say. I'll I'll circle back to that. I I don't want to lose the train of thought. Are affairs because of the same dopamine high? Like, is that what you your perception of the cause of affairs? Um, It's not only my perception, but I've done a lot of research and interviews with psychologists. And um, most of the psychologists that I've discussed this with have said that it's that risk taking. Mm. Very few people who have affairs and subsequently marry, their marriages by and large do not work out. The incident of their marriage it depending upon what research, you know, whether you're looking at the CDC or Bowling Green or some other, you know, uh, institution that is taking this, you know, doing this statistical research, it can be up to 70% of those mar- those relationships fail. It was the high, the secrecy. It was that, you know, that feeling that you were powerful. What I was explaining is, I think, and I've really studied a lot about addiction. Because so many marriages are destroyed by through addiction, um, particularly gambling and alcohol. Um, and so during my over 30 years of practicing, I've spoken to so many psychologists. You know, I've written articles about it. I've tried to help my clients. And I personally have come, this is my theory. 
none of us have had a choice about being here on earth. Okay. We haven't had any choice in our, you know, picking our gender, our color, our uh, creed, our culture, our family. We spend the rest of our lives trying to control an environment that we never had a choice in being in. And I think, I think, you know, many of the things, many of the skills we develop as children, um, if we're in a family where, you know, our parents are arguing, um, if we haven't seen how to conflict resolve, many of these things we internalize and we bring them into our next relationship. And what I'm saying is that as children, we know we can't control that environment, correct? We try to, right? Yes. Terrible twos. We try to control it, but the reality is we don't have any what? We were talking about this earlier. Power, right? right. Power. And that's what these babies who cry, they, that's their power, their way to get what they want. You know, as we grow up, getting angry is exerting your what? Power, right? Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes drinking is a way of asserting your power. And you may say, well, what, how, I don't understand that. Yeah, you have the right to choose. Somebody may not want you to have a drink, but that's your power to take that drink and do what somebody doesn't want you to do. I relate to that one. Huh? That one struck a chord when you just said it. I totally relate to that. It's That's how I felt about gambling with my money was we grew up not wealthy. Um, you know, the only time you got really what you wanted was income tax time. So, so it was good for about, you know, two days. Um, that's when you ate out and you got new sneakers and that kind of stuff. And when I started working and I started buying things like my own hairspray and things that I felt I should have been entitled to as a teenager, instead of having to work for, I started going to gamble as the power of my money. This is, I earned it and I can do whatever I want with it. So I totally get that. Well, and and there is so much um, that if people would understand that they, the power is not to act out. The real power is to know yourself and be happy with yourself. And accept the fact that we all have limits. You know, none of us had a right, none of us had input into who we, what family we're born into, to whom we're born. You know, you said that you grew up in, you know, I, I don't know what kind of a a family that didn't have a lot of money, right? Correct. Okay. And so, so mom didn't work until um, they split up. Right. So Bob was cheating on her. She has to figure out how to drive a car, get a job, balance a checkbook. So the lens I look at everything is I will never be in that situation. Like on my 18th birthday, I celebrated the fact I wasn't pregnant. I was like, okay, I'm ahead of the game. You know, so that's where my independence comes from. To your point, I took back the power because to me, that looked weak that she needed you know, my uncle to teach her how to drive a car in her twenties and, and those kinds of things. So I can really see that power component for sure. But all of those things that you experienced with your mother, 
became your reality too. Mm-hmm. I mean, it shaped who you are and it shaped your future addiction to a certain extent. It it did because everybody was drinkers. And that was another reason was I'm not going to be a drinker. I ended up being a drinker anyway, but back then again, so I, gambling was my escape from all the things instead of going to alcohol first. Of course, the alcohol ramped up just because it just comes with the territory. But um, it, it is. It's about having feeling like I was in control of something. And that's that. my point. I tr- No, I truly believe that that's what we're all struggling with. Yeah. We wa- all want to try to control our environment. And the reality is, Unless we understand that the only thing we can control is ourselves, (laughs) we self-medicate, we act out, we have sequential marriages. I mean, all we're trying to do is survive in a situation that we may not want to be in. Right. That we had no control over choosing. Yeah. And you grow up, frankly, remember we talked about the two-year-old, the tantrums? Yes. Right. You know, you never quite, you never quite get over the fact that you really had no control. And all of us have to go through some sort of a process at one point in our life. We've all had, we've all been hit and landed on our butts. And you have to decide, are you going to get up and take the next punch or are you going to lie there in a fetal position? Right. And, you know, in order to help you get up, sometimes people self-medicate with addiction, uh, in terms of gambling or drinking or, you know, the philanderers. Remember, you know, the men who are always after women. Mm-hmm. That's that dopamine rush. Right. It's not necessarily that they're lecturers. It's that they, they need that risk. They want to see if they can get that person into their orbit. It's a game. Yeah. You know, gambling is a game to a certain extent. And frankly, so is drinking, if you look at it. It's a game with yourself. Yeah, that's true. How much can I have? You know, and then the other game can be, you know, can I stop? You know, can I stop? Right. You know, and, you know, the reality is there. there's just so much sadness, so much heart-wrenching when relationships break up that if people would understand that, a breakup is a, an opportunity to wake up and look at yourself, look at what you did to contribute to the breakdown of the relationship and do some work so that the next relationship isn't going to end the same way this relationship ended. Yeah. You know, first marriages and, you know, people say, well, it's not quite 50 percent. No, it isn't. It's 47 point something percent. Now it may be 50 with COVID. But 50% of the first marriages in this country end in divorce. 60% of the second marriages end in divorce. And 70% of third marriages end in divorce. What I, heard that that, I heard that stat. And I actually, so this is my little philosophy on second marriages. Well, on first marriages, really. I call them the dress rehearsal. So if you 
if you go and you get the divorce and you work on yourself, you're preparing yourself to be a better mate, or at least that's my, my dialogue, right? I'll be a better in a, a better position for my second marriage. If there's ever a second marriage. Um, so when I heard those stats, it was very counterintuitive to me, but I guess with everything that you're saying, it makes a lot of sense because if they don't do the work or they're chasing a relationship as they're high, it, it makes perfect sense. But I couldn't wrap my head around it until you just said that. Well, you know, very often. And I mean, I, as I said, I've been married twice. You know, um, the first time I got married, I was 19 years old. My ex-husband was going to Vietnam. You know, I was a good Catholic girl, you know, only sluts had sex before marriage. Yeah. So he, you know, you want to have sex before you die in a rice paddy? You know, you got to get married. Anyway, you know, he's a completely nice guy, really. Uh, he's the father of my two children, but there was never any, you know, there was never any, you know, rockets red glaring. It, it was like, mm, this is what I've saved myself for. But in any event, you know, then I had a rebound uh, with my next husband who was absolutely gorgeous um could send could sell sand to an arab but that was what we were courting and then the problem is we both came with with children from different relationships and um stepchildren are probably the most divisive thing in a second marriage you know it's very very hard as you were saying before you wanted to be friends with the wives and you wanted to be you know be a part of the children's lives well that threatens that threatens the status of the biological mother mm. and very few biological mothers. I've met some, but they're few and far between who really want the stepmother to be liked by their children. I mean, you're, you're, you're on their turf right. and women are nesters. We, we are nesters. We're very, we mark our territory. I mean, I, most women mark their territory. Now, there are exceptions to everything, but most women mark their territory. And there's no way you want to encourage your biological child to love this stepmother. And even if she may not have had anything to do with the breakdown of the marriage. Right. She's, she is the evil person. She's so, making the asshole uh, husband who she couldn't get along with happy. And that just kills her. Yeah, that that makes perfect sense. You you talk about kids as they relate to marriage. How do you feel about people staying together for the sake of the kids? Uh, you know, that's that is really um, that's a tough one. Um, the research is that it is not best for the children if it's a toxic relationship. And I don't mean necessarily physically abusive. I mean, if uh, the the husband and the wife, the mother and father really are bickering at each other, they're raising their voices um, there and the children are young. Um, this is very threatening to the very core of who these kids are. Um, they look at themselves as being bad, as being the reason why this is going on. Cognitively, they don't get it. So, I mean, it, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, I personally struggled with that in my first marriage. Um, 
But I just, you know, frankly, I just, you know, I'll be honest. I, <laughs> I've never really, I haven't told many people this, but I actually thought one day, you know, it would, it would just be easier for everybody if I just drove into a, a you know, uh, the embankment on, you know, on the highway, you know, I just like literally when that happened to me, I said, that's it. I can't, I, this is not, I'm at a point where I'm thinking of self-harm, then it's time to get out. No, I mean, I'm being honest with you. Right. I, if you think, if you're thinking about self-harm, it's time to get out. If that was- that's how comfortable you are and you're unhappy, you don't think the kids know it. Now, obviously, if there's physical or verbal abuse, which there really wasn't in either of my marriages, but um, I would say get out. I mean, do not stay because it's not going to be healthy for you, not going to be healthy with the kids. But so many of my clients also shared with me that they it got to the point where they really didn't, you know, they didn't even want to live anymore because they were so miserable. You answered my next kind of two questions all in one. Um, like, how do you know it's time to go? And I think what I heard was physical, verbal, and then abuse. And then if, if you got to the point of self-harm, I had heard, and I don't know, this might've been like a Jay Shetty thing or, or something to the effect of if people stay together that aren't in like a really good, you know, a marriage for the sake of the kids and the kids are seeing, I think you called it bickering and that, then that's what they think love is or exactly. supposed to be, right? So and that's they- what they bring to their relationship. Esther Perel, I don't know if you know her, she's just a world famous psychologist who deals with relationships. Um, she's, she says that, tell me how you were loved as a child, and I will tell you how you will love as an adult. Mm. And that is really packed with, you know, that simple sentence says it all. We learn how to love as children. We learn how to resolve disputes as children by looking at our parents or our siblings. And really, it's the nuclear family that we we get these messages from. And we get our feeling of self-confidence, of how to resolve disputes as children growing up in in that environment. And if you are a child who's growing up when your mother and father are screaming at each other and they clearly don't like it and there's no, you know, occasional warmth between them and the air in the, you know, at the kitchen table is toxic with feelings of anxiety, then that's not going to be very healthy for the child. Right. So at that point, I think it's time to get out. But it's such an individual decision. Um, because it really does have a lot of ramifications, not only on the couple and the children, but the extended families, the friends. It's, it's, you know, it is a big upheaval in your life. But again, I maintain it's a diversion. Mm. And I also maintain that the number one reason for divorce is that you haven't thoroughly investigated the character of the partner that you're selecting to be your life partner. All you're doing is looking at that personality. The two of you are really in an audition, right? You're auditioning love. Yes. You don't, you can't. And even if you live together and the statistics are, you know, people who live together six, seven, eight years, they get divorced as frequently as if you didn't. Yeah. 
I always say congratulations when people are getting divorced. I'm proud of them for making the move, you know, hopefully they've tried, you know, the relationship or whatever, but to me, getting a divorce means that you're standing up for yourself on some level. That's my interpretation. So I like what you're saying about it being a diversion. Um, and And it's a wake up, you know, a breakup can be a wake up and you know, it isn't the end. (sighs) Divorce never killed anybody except those people who, as I said, have done, you know, are thinking about self-harm. And, um, you know, I mean, there are so many people in very, very struggling relationships, um, toxic relationships who do ideation about self-harm. And that's the default for humans. That's the human default. That's why we have so many veterans you know, I, what is it? How many veterans, six veterans a day kill themselves? Isn't that what this, I can't remember. I mean, it's, it's a high statistics every single day and we can't help them. I mean, it's so much needs to be done for mental health in this country. And it starts with understanding who it is that you're marrying. Right. I mean, is this the real person? Or is this the person who's trying to get you to love them, to accept them, to marry them, to partner up for the rest of their life for their own agenda? Do you have any advice on how someone, so like when I hear somebody that's getting married in less than two years, I'm nervous for them right off the bat because in in my relationships, it takes longer than that to get to the reasons to not be in that relationship. Again, my experience, right? So do you... Do you have any ways that if someone was dating or getting to know or contemplating marriage, what should they do to get to know the characteristics instead of the personality? Yeah, that's a very good question and very insightful because even Brides Magazine in June of 2022 had a a large article about recommending premarital counseling. Not that you're going to get every, you know, not that you're going to really see everything that's going to evolve during the course of a marriage. Um, love takes many, many turns and twists, you know, uh, in a relationship. Uh, you know, one day is going to be great. The next day's not. You know, what you're, ha- you're looking for is some sort of a medium. So, you know, there's a birthday, there's an anniversary, and then there's a funeral or, you know, a kid isn't doing well in school or whatever. Or you get fired or something happens or COVID happens. <clears throat> Love takes many forms during the course of a relationship. It's not always going to be the dopamine rush. You know, there's serotonin and oxytocin, which is the oxytocin is the bonding chemical, which if you can keep that bonding chemical in your relationship, which is, you know, what I talk about in the round which all things bend, which is my novel, um, that I talk about the fact that You really need to find out who you're marrying by virtue of there are questions that psychologists say you can ask. You can do almost something like premarital counseling. You know, you can Google this. There are some free courses on Google for premarital counseling. You know, I read a statistic recently that the average couple who's engaged, the engagement lasts about 11 months. They spend at least 12 hours a month on the wedding. 12, I'm sorry, 12 hours 
a week on the wedding. <clears throat> That's 580 hours, 580 hours during the engagement that they're planning for one day and they spend zero time planning on the marriage. Right. Planning. What are we going to do? You know, what are your spending habits? <clears throat> are you a spendthrift or are you a saver? Are you a drinker or not? You know, how do you deal with stress? How do you communicate? You know, I mean, you should never, ever marry anyone. And I'm telling you this as someone who's lived on this life, those planet for 75 years, been married three times. I'm one of seven kids. Trust me. You have to have a really bad fight before you get married to make sure that you can get over that, how you resolve it. You really need to have a bad fight. <laughs> do you think marriages can come back from affairs? Yes, I do. I absolutely do. I do think marriages um, can come back from affairs. I've seen many marriages during the course of my practice um, that have come back from affairs. Um, it's not easy. The trust issue is enormous. But if the affair was caused, you know, an affair, in my opinion, is not getting drunk on a business trip and being seduced by somebody. To me, yes, it's an affair technically uh, in the legal form. It's it's considered an affair. Um, but the emotional affair, the affair that lasts for years, those are very difficult to come back from. But, you know, the workplace affair. Yes, you can come back from the works. I've seen people come back from the work, workplace affair, but it takes a lot of therapy. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of commitment. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of, you know, injury that's done um, when somebody has an affair. Yeah, for sure. So, Nancy, tell me what, so you, you have another book coming out. You have the book currently. So you want to talk about that for a minute? What's What's the current book? Where can people find it? The current book, um, you can find it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or wherever you can order it, wherever books are sold. Um, the title is Around Which All Things Bend. And hopefully you understand after I've been discussing relationships and love, that love is the thing around which all things bend. Mm -hmm. And we bend and bend and bend for love to get it and to give it until sometimes it breaks us. And that's what this novel is about. Um, and, you know, I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it to my surprise, because I never like anything I write. It's getting five star reviews on Amazon. All right. <laughs> so I'm really I'm actually really thrilled. And um, I do have a website. It's Nancy, N-A-N-C-Y, Perpall, P-E-R-P-A-L-L dot com. And I write monthly blogs. There are a lot of blogs that are extremely helpful, I've been told by many people, um, about relationships, about what happens between a couple and the birth of a child, um, what happens to men now, um, because men are now uh, being tested for postpartum depression. They actually have a chemical reaction, um, you know, uh, with the birth of a child. And that's why some young fathers feel detached, um, as women do when they go through postpartum depression. Um, so I talk about all kinds of things in terms of relationships. As I said in the beginning, with honestly a sincere hope that people will find their way back to each other and not just go get a divorce. I would say that 90% of the people who I've represented 
in divorces have said they wish they had tried harder. Mm. Wow. So is that what you plan on doing now is, is helping yes. people through the book or helping people in person? Like that's, is that the, um, well, I am as soon as I get this, the second book out, um, you know, I just have so much, you know, time in the day and I'm a grandmother and I'm, <laughs> um, I'm the Uber driver for my grandson um, the, until he gets his wheels next year. But in any event, um, uh, you know, I, I, I am going to do a master class for people, uh, but it's going to be before you get married. Oh, I love you know, it. No, before you get married. I have a wealth of information about before you get married, because as I said, the number one cause of a divorce is that you're mismatched from the very beginning. You really don't know each other. You really don't know each other. And, um, you know, I, I can, I can tell you so many clients came in my office and said, I knew I shouldn't have gone through it, but it went too far. You know, we have the venue, the invitations are out. And I knew, I just knew. I knew I shouldn't have gone through it. And I'm telling you, I've heard that so many times over the last 30 years that and and the research actually shows that, you know, I don't know if you ever listened to Brene Brown. Do you know who she is? Yes, I love her. You know, she's just, you know, an amazing speaker and researcher. You know, and she talks about vulnerability and she talks about relationships and she's not a therapist. Esther Perel is the therapist. But um, John Gottman, who is the father of research and relationships, talks about this very thing. The biggest predictor for divorce when he's counseling couples, and that's what he does. He brings couples into this apartment, which is really a laboratory. And the biggest predictor for a divorce is contempt between the couples. If they roll their eyes or they cross their arms or they stare at the computer screen or the, the cell phone screen, which, by the way, I think the cell phone has caused more divorces and social media than anything. But in any event, <laughs> um, you know, that's not borne out by the research, but I think it will be someday. You know, contempt between a couple is a very, very hard thing to get over. And that's what he says. He can predict within... 75 to 80 percent accuracy that a couple who d- demonstrates contempt in his rela- in his laboratory is more likely to get divorced than not. That's very interesting. I can see I could see how that would be the case, because if you're actively trying to um, fix and communicate and nurture a relationship, you would be engaged and you would be taking the feedback with value, not rolling your eyes or being defensive about it. That means you're not listening. That That's what I'm hearing out of what you just said. Well, you know, my husband and I went out to lunch um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and it was, you know, lunchtime when we're retired. But, you know, sometimes, you know, business people come in. And this family was sitting very close to us. And it had three little boys, you know, ages, I'd say around 14 to maybe 10. And their mother and they were sitting at the table and they were chatting and everything. And the father came in. And the father just sat down, said hi to the boys, did not say hello to his wife wow. and sat there basically 
looking at his cell phone the whole entire time. And I was so disturbed by this. You know, I said to my husband, um, who's a psychologist, by the way, I said, you know, take a look at that family over there. You know, when you get up to go to the men's room, you know, check them out. And he said, you know, obviously that marriage is never going to last. And those boys are going to be scarred because that's what they think a relationship is going to be, that they're going to get married and ignore their wife. And I said, you know, that's the tragedy. You know, I mean, is it better, you asked, is it better to get out? Or is it better to demonstrate that's how you have a relationship with the person who's supposed to be your soulmate, your partner in life? You know, at what point do you determine that that is not a good model for these children? If a relationship gets to the point where you can't even go out to dinner without staring at your cell phone instead of discussing something with your partner, turning your cell phone off for an hour, there's an issue in your relationship. Yeah, I agree. I have a friend that for the last four years, every time we talk, it's the same stuff. The marriage is bad, but there's triplets and another kid. And, you know, in his head, they're they're together for the kids. And I try to tell them stuff like you're teaching me today. And, you know, the next phone call, it'll probably be the same thing. And it's unfortunate because you're right. The kids, I think, suffer when they see the. Yeah. Anyway, well, you know, I think children are Geiger counters. They can they can just they sense everything. They sense their parents' moods. They just sense everything, all the dynamics in the relationship. And um, this little boy would like you'd see him like give his father a look out of the corner of his eye. And, you know, the guy just sat there staring at his phone. Wow. Um, Nancy, is there anything that I have forgotten to ask or that you think you want to share um, and let us know? Um, no, the only thing that I would say is that if any anyone, if anything I said resonated with anyone, I would encourage you um, not to throw in the towel in your relationship if your relationship is struggling. Um, I would encourage you to either get help through a psychologist or, you know, read articles or really think about what it is you what it is your goal is. What's your agenda? Do you really love this person? Are you committed to this person? And um, as I said, you know, my my website, nancypropal.com, has a lot of articles on it about how to maintain um, your relationship with your spouse. And my new book, um, The Malnourished Marriage, Five Essential Emotional Nutrients for a Healthy Relationship, discusses the five things every single relationship needs. Communication, I compare to water. Protein, I compare to sex. Protein is the building block of the body. It's the building block of relationship. Uh, Carbohydrate is humor. We need humor in relationships. No relationship is going to survive without some modicum of humor. The next thing, of course, is healthy fats. Healthy fats are really what keeps the body protected. You know, it keeps the organs protected. And that's your compassion, um, your trust. I'm sorry, your compassion and your patience with your spouse. That's what keeps that that protects your relationship. You've got to compromise and you have to have patience. And the next thing is trust, which I compare to a multivitamin. If you're not getting enough in your system, you have to have a multivitamin. If you're not getting enough trust in your system, that's a problem. 
you need to really figure out how you're going to build that trust. And you asked about relationships or, you know, um, infidelities. That's the biggest issue in infidelity is the lack of trust. So I hope to help people. That's my mission in life now. Wow. Thank you. You are definitely a seasoned expert. I, I, I have to say, I recently uh, met with a coach slash friend of mine and she's been taking this speaking class and she talked about the difference between like the fluff and then the real data and you're a real data kind of girl. And I really appreciated that, um, that you be able, you're able to just quote all the experts and, and share your knowledge, um, and dedication to learning more about it. So I was just really impressed, Nancy. So I want to say thank you for that. Well, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed talking to you. And I, I just hope that somebody gets a little tidbit out of it. You know, when we go to these conferences and all of this, you're just hoping to get one little something out of it, you know, that you can remember and carry with you. And um, that's my hope. Thank you, Nancy.